Romans chapter 10, Romans the 10th chapter, verses 1 and 2. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And then if you'll turn back a page in Romans chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. I preach tonight to myself. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will apply it to others. Because I've had to deal with this in my own heart over and over and over again. It is so possible to be filled and to fill our schedule with so many good things, important things, vital things, things that absolutely have to be done. That many times we put on the priority list down fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh or tenth or twentieth, the thing that's closest to the heart of God. Paul never did that. The power that changed his life was the power of the Holy Spirit that occurred on the day he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He went into Damascus. He did exactly what God told him to do. He waited until Ananias came. And Ananias told him to receive his sight back. And they told him to be baptized. And then he told him how great things he must suffer for Jesus' sake and how he was going to be a chosen vessel to go and bear the good news to other people. As I read Paul's life, he never veered for even a moment from that one thing. There came a time in Paul's ministry when he was leaving his third missionary journey and he was going back to Jerusalem. He was taking the offering that they had prepared for the saints in Jerusalem. And he met this person and this person and this person and this person along the way. And they said, now, Brother Paul, don't go to Jerusalem because if you go there, chains will be there and you'll have all kinds of problems and they'll arrest you and you'll be in trouble. And Paul bore with them and loved them, but he said, none of these things move me. I'm ready not only to be chained, but to die for the cause of Christ. And Paul, with an unwavering conviction, went down to Jerusalem, fell into the hands of wicked people. They arrested him. And then he was sent to Rome, willingly to be a human bonfire, if need be, to give to the Roman people the gospel of Jesus Christ. And though we're not expressly told it in the Scripture, the hint is so strong that I'm convinced Paul was permitted to give the gospel in Caesar's palace and probably before Caesar himself. And it may be this is the thing that led to his death on the Appian Way. You remember what he said to the Romans? My heart's desire, my prayer to God, that they might be saved. I have continual sorrow, great heaviness. I could wish myself accursed from Christ for my brother and my kinsmen according to the flesh. This was Paul's desire. This was the light that never flickered. It forever gleamed in the dark of that wicked and perverse generation. And I want to tell you tonight, a long time ago I made a decision. Sometimes I've kept it and sometimes I haven't. But I said, Lord, there are two things I want to do more than anything else. I've shared this with our people from time to time through the years. Rather than anything in the world, I'd like to be a man of prayer. And I'd like to have a burden for souls. And I would to God that our church had that same kind of desire. And that is the power that will change everything we do. If we could pray, Lord, make me a man of prayer, a woman of prayer, a church of prayer. Help, help us to be a praying people. 
Because nothing eternal will ever be accomplished except by prayer. And then, Lord, give me a burden for souls. Help me to be a soul winner. Above everything else, above the singing, above the music, above the drama of the Christmas tree, above the Christian school, above everything, Lord, help me to be a soul winner. There are three determinations we must make if we are to have this heart's desire. And I said I preach to myself, and I pray the Holy Spirit will apply it to others. Number one, we must determine to be personally involved. Number two, we must be perseveringly committed. And number three, we must be perennially prepared. If we're going to be people of prayer, if we're going to have souls on our hearts. Number number one, we need to be personally involved. We're prone to think of a world that is lost And we think in terms of statistics. But I want to tell you, the whole world can die and go to hell. And it really won't make much difference to us if all we think of is a world that is lost. So easy to think about about the people in Africa and Japan and China, people in South Sea Islands and people everywhere. Have our little missionary meetings and pray our little prayers for the world and read our little parts. But when it comes down to really being concerned so that we give our money, so that we give our time, so that we give ourselves up to the possibility of failure by speaking to somebody personally about Jesus. And one of the biggest reasons we refrain from that is because we're scared they'll say no. Or we're scared they'll ask us something that we don't know how to answer. Or we don't really know how to get into the conversation. I like the way you do it if you get into it at all. I don't think there is any set way of getting into a spiritual conversation. Brother Earl Tapley just walks up and says, have you been born again? Miss Ivor Morris used to say, she'd hold out her little track and she'd say, there are only two places to spend eternity. One is in heaven, one is in hell. Which, are you, which place are you going to? That was pretty tactful, wasn't it? But she had a lot of people saved. You may have a more tactful plan than that. Or you may not have any plan at all. Or you may have allowed Satan to scare you into a run so that talking to others about Jesus has become foreign to you. Paul thought of folks as his kinsmen. He said, brother, in my heart's desire, my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He said, I have a continual heaviness in my soul. I could wish myself accursed to go to hell for my kinsmen according to the flesh. Dr. Deems was pastor of the Church of the Strangers in New York City. They built a a great, beautiful new building. They poured a lot of money and finances and plans and and preparation and hard work into that building. And on the day of dedication, Dr. Deems made a strange statement. He said, if all the vast outlay of money and time and preparation and prayer and concern we have poured into building this beautiful building should result in the salvation of only one soul, it would be worth it all. And after the meeting, some of the church officers gathered around. Dr. Deems said, said, Sir, didn't you get a little bit carried away in your message when you said, if all the vast array of finances and time and talents that we poured into building this building should result in the salvation of only one lost soul, it would be worthwhile? Dr. Deems pulled himself up straight and he said, No, I didn't overstep it. Not if that were my son. If we could think of the lost that live on Kirby Street, that live on Roselawn Way, live on Small House, that live on Broadway, that live on Longview, that live on your street, my street, as somebody very, very dear to our hearts. Are we so caught up with the world that we've lost that terrible 
hunger and desire and burden to see people saved. The hymn writer, Mr. Lowry, was thinking about this when he wrote, Where is my wandering boy tonight? The boy of my love and tears. The boy that was once my joy and delight. The boy of my wandering years. Oh, where is my boy tonight? And then he closed it by saying, Go for my wandering boy tonight. Go search for him where you will. But bring him to me with all his blight and tell him I love him still. If we're going to go after the lost, we need to see the lost as our friends, our children, our kinsmen. And we need to be personally involved. I need to be personally involved. You need to be personally involved. And you know when we do that, we'll forget a lot of our resentments. We'll forget a lot of our hurt feelings. We'll forget a lot of things that have been on our minds and hearts. And we'll go together after the loss. Now, secondly, if we're to share Paul's heart's desire then we must be perseveringly committed. There's a perilous cost involved. The task before us is not an easy one. The one thing that has the power to change this church, to change your life and my life, is this thing I'm talking about tonight, getting a deep concern and burden for souls. It will change everything we think. It'll change our music service. We'll sing to get people joyful and be done with all the formality of it. And we'll just have a good time in the Lord. It will change what is priority in our lives. We'll rearrange our schedule to find time to go with Christ after the lost. It will totally change our view and understanding of the buses. And we'll recognize that those dear bus people, pastors and captains and drivers and helpers that go out day after day, week after week. They go out because of souls that are hanging in the balance. And they're going to spend eternity somewhere. And if we don't find something to get their attention and wake them up. They'll go down, down, down. Forever lost. When Jesus fed the multitude, the 5,000, the 4,000, with the hamburgers, or whatever it was he fed them. I think it was fish burgers. I'm sure there were some of the disciples said, well now, look, we're wasting a lot. This doesn't make sense that you'd said, use all this food to feed all these people. Of course, they had one problem. Jesus made it all right on the spot. We don't always do that here in the bus ministry. We'd say, Johnny, Brother Johnny, if you're going to have a promotion that involves something to eat, will you please bless it? <clears throat> I'll give you my two fish and a few loaves, and you bless it and break it and feed all those kids. We don't usually do that. It's not that Johnny doesn't have the faith. We just never put him to the test. When the woman anointed Jesus' feet with that expensive ointment. And I think it was Judas who said, why, this is so wasteful. Why, my, my, we could have sold this and we could have fed the poor with it. The cheapskate. He didn't care anything about feeding the poor. He wanted to pocket the money. He was a thief. And I have, I have question marks in my mind about people we want to always save the money and save the money and build big bank accounts instead of pouring it out where there's a need and to get the attention of lost people. We're living in a time of great competitive interests. We have to compete with the great big screen televisions. And don't tell me they don't have them. I've been in some of your homes and I see them. Beautiful color. And I've been in homes where you take Christmas baskets and Thanksgiving baskets and where there's a need for food and they've got a beautiful color television. And you know, you say, well, tell them to sell their old television and uh, they'll have something to eat. Well, that's a nice, 
advice, but they're not going to do it. What we have to do is meet needs where they are. Find out what those needs are and try to help meet them. And we need to be perseveringly committed to finding lost people and getting something that can get their attention. This is the reason, dear precious people of Glendale, we need a television ministry. Some of you could easily go borrow the money somewhere and help our church get $12,000 to buy the equipment so we could televise these services and have them on cable television free. I said once something like that years ago and the father of one of the men that's in this room went out decided he was going to do it. I don't think he did it single-handedly, but do you know we got on television? And we were on television several years until somebody raised the question if the church ever voted to do it. You remember that, Lee? Those were glory days. There's somebody here tonight in whose heart God could lodge that seed and you could go out of here determined that you're going to help us get that television equipment so that Glendale Baptist Church can, can compete for the attention of the masses of the people where there's a need because this is a modern means of communication that we're not in on right now. Perseveringly committed. We have to weigh the worth of a soul. The value of a soul can only be measured by the price Jesus paid on the cross to save it from hell. Throngs, throngs of unsaved people are unconsciously marching away from the cross in their sickness and sorrow, in their night, into a shameful failure and lost. They're not even aware of it. Do you remember when Jesus told the story about the man who went down from Jer J Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves and they stripped him and they robbed him and uh, he had all kinds of bruises and wounds and so on he fell in a ditch and was almost dead and a priest came by he was in, his hurry, in a hurry to get to church so he couldn't stop and help him a, a Levite came by and he was do busy doing he had an appointment he was going to go counsel with somebody he couldn't do it help him and finally a despised Samaritan came along and saw that old man in the, in the ditch. And you know what he did? Come up here. Yeah. Lie down there and play dead. Yeah. Now close your eyes. Now do you know what? That guy in the ditch was just like this guy. This guy's terrible. And the man could have just passed him by. He didn't even, he wasn't even conscious. But this, this Samaritan went down and went, hey, wake up, wake up, wake up. Caught him up. He put him on his mule and took him into a city. Thank you, Terrell. And took him into a city. You see, we have to find lost people where they are. They don't even know they're lost. They don't even care that they're lost. And we have to go and wake them up somehow, getting their attention. And any way we can get their attention that is not unscriptural, we need to do it. Folks may resent it. They may not always receive us warmly. They may slam a door in our face. But perseveringly committed to the task, we're willing to risk failure. We're willing to risk their rebuke and their abuse. Are you willing to do that? Now I'm talking about the power that can change us. We had a funeral here today. There's one shameful thing about that funeral. Shame to even tell you. I was at the funeral home and a lady that lives on Magnolia Street said I drove around and around and around and around and around trying to find Glendale Baptist Church and finally she said I saw one of those little red signs and I found how to get there. She said, I've lived over there for several years. If we're going to stay here, we need to put some bright lights out on Small House and big signs around the city and put announcements in the bullet in the church in the, in the paper every week telling people how to find this place. 
This is the hardest church in Bowling Green to find. I'm glad you found it tonight and you got here. But it's hard to find. How many of you know it's hard to find? Uh-huh. You've been keeping that secret, haven't you? Get to a business meeting and tell us it's hard to find. There's something we can do about it. We can put some signs out there, electric signs. Get some billboards around Bowling Green. Put up here about how to be saved. Those billboards cost about $375 a month. Now don't, don't faint. If we really get our heart in winning souls, we'll see a, trans, a, a whole big change. The Ninth and Old Baptist Church in Louisville, when I, was in the, when I grew up in Louisville, Ninth and Old was sort of a nominal church. You heard it named once in a while, but frankly, I didn't even know where it was. How many of you know where Ninth and Old Baptist Church is? Some of you do. But I didn't know. I found out it was on Taylor Boulevard. But you know how I found that out? A man named John Haggai came as pastor of that church. And he scared the people at Ninth and O absolutely to death. He said, we're going to put billboards all over Louisville. And we're going to announce that at Ninth and O you can hear God's man with God's message. And we're going to have a perennial revival. And we're going to start the meeting on such and such a date with no close date. And they put those signs up all over Louisville. And the people at the seminary, I was in the seminary, they made fun of it. They made fun. They said, there's John Haggai. He just tried to get his name all over everywhere. You know what happened? The Ninth Mill Church got transformed. They started a revival meeting. It lasted six weeks, seven nights a week. Hundreds of people were saved. And when that meeting was through, everybody in Louisville knew where, knew where Ninth and Old Baptist Church was. They didn't even relocate. They just stayed right where they were. It transformed them in such a way that since that time, all through these years, other pastors have come, and God has used what John Haggai did to put Ninth and Old on the map as one of the great leading churches in Louisville area. That was a price to pay. We must see the results that are at stake. In New York, there are eight to 10 millions of people. There are six to eight millions of those who are lost. In our world, there are five billions of people, three billions, two to three billion of them. Three billion of them are lost, and two billion of that three have never even heard of Jesus. 30 million young people in America with no religious affiliation whatsoever. Some are apt to think that this is no serious problem. But I want to tell you, everybody is not going to heaven. The people you go to school with, the people you work in the office with, the people over at Western, wherever you go, you're in touch with hundreds of people who are lost. They're on their way to hell. Somebody asked, Dr. Robert G. Lee, do you think Mr. Gandhi went to heaven? How many of you know who Mr. Gandhi is? Mahatma, Mahatma Gandhi, leader at that time of 400 million Indians in India. Dr. Lee answered by quoting Gandhi. Here's what Gandhi said. I do not believe that idol worship is a sin. I believe that cow protection and cow worship is the gift of Hinduism to the world. For a while I wavered between Hinduism and Christianity, but when I became, recovered the balance of my mind, I found that Hinduism is sufficient to me for my salvation. Marvelous leader. Anywhere you go in school today, they'll say Mahatma Gandhi was a great, great uh, martyr. He, he went on a fast until certain things could take place in the world. And he was an unusual philosopher and a great leader. And all the humanists would gather together and say, well, if there is such a thing as a heaven, certainly Mr. Gandhi went there. And they said, Dr. Lee, do you think Gandhi went to heaven? And Dr. Lee said, if you can go to heaven on the back of a cow, he did. You see, no matter how fine people are, no matter how much knowledge they have, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Only one way. 
There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Hell is no fiction. It is a place of separation from God, a place of outer darkness, a place of torments, a place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. I wish you could have heard Phil Martin's sermon on hell the other night, something about echoes from hell and so on. Marvelous thing it went out over the radio WBGN and touched lives all over this city. The rich man went to hell, but in hell, he remembered he had five brothers back on earth. He said, I'd give anything if I could come back. Oh, Father Abraham, would you send Lazarus that he may, that he may go and tell people, my brothers, about God, about how to get to heaven. That was impossible. The only thing we can do about it is what we do right here. That's all. Now listen, some of you are going to die this year, maybe even before 1988 closes. All you'll ever do to win souls to Christ is what you do in these next few weeks as we go into December month. God help us not to get so involved in building the tree and practicing our music and giving our gifts and having our parties and all those things that we forget souls are lost and on their way to hell. And if, if the end of 1988 comes and you are called into the other world, you will have done everything you will ever do to win anybody to Jesus. Never any other opportunity. That's pretty sobering. Because most of the people here say, well, I plan to win somebody. I plan to talk to somebody. I'm making plans to do it. But I want to tell you, there's some in this very room tonight who claim to be Christians. And I say this with a lot of delicacy and love. But your life is so out of kelter with God's will. Absolutely so out of kelter with God's will. You're so messed up. You don't even know. You're not even able to listen attentively tonight because your life is so fouled up and so messed up. And you better check up to be sure you're on your way to heaven. You may be a church member, but if your life is so messed up that you can ruin your home, that you can hurt other people, that you can have affairs, and it doesn't even bother you when you get under the preaching of the word, be sure to check to be sure you're, heaven, you're, you're on your way to heaven. And if you're not, I want to plead with you to turn to Christ tonight. Come in repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe it was providential that God sent that film to us tonight. Marvelous film. If you saw it, it's bound to have touched your heart. And it's bound to have said inside, I want a soul live that my life can be fixed up and patched up and be what God wants it to be in the light of eternity. Well, there's one last thing. If we're to share the heart's desire that I've mentioned, if we're going to say, Lord, make me a man of prayer, make me a church of prayer, make me a soul winner, then we need to be perennially prepared. Number one, with a worthy life, a ready surrender. Jewish rabbi said in Memphis some time ago, we Jews have denied Christ, but you Christians, by the poor way you live, what he taught have disgraced Christ. Honey, put that thing down and listen to me. We Jews have denied Christ. We don't even believe Jesus was Christ, the Son of God. But you Christians, by the poor way you live, what he taught have disgraced him. Friend, where do we stand in light of that indictment? Mr. Gandhi said, I think I could have become a Christian had it not been for Christians. Bob Pierce said, he was leader of World Vision. He said on one of his broadcasts, the Russian people are out planning us, out preaching us, out working us, out daring us, and they're winning with a lie while Christians are losing with the truth. Since 1918, communism has conquered over 233 million more people and brought them under the hammer and sickle than Christians have brought to Christ in 2,000 years. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. May that be our motto. May that be my motto. 
For me to work in the kitchen is for Christ to work in the kitchen. For me to work, be in the garage is for Christ to be in the garage. For me to go to the stores for Christ to go to the store. For, for me to be in the factory is for Christ to be in the factory. For me to be in the schoolroom is for Christ to be in that schoolroom. For me to be in the shop is for Christ to be in the shop. For me to be out on the street is for Christ to be in the street. Living for Jesus, a life that pleases Him. Always ready. Perennially ready. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And I just want to tell you that's what I have on my heart tonight. That's the, that's the power that can change Glendale Baptist Church. Now some of you are looking off into space and you'll be glad when this service is over, but I'm going to keep you for another hour maybe. So you just listen. I want to say to you, <clears throat> if you really want God to use this church, He can't use the church until He uses you as a person, as an individual. He has to, I have to be willing to say, Lord, use me. Make me a man of prayer. Make me a soul winner. And that's what all of us need to say. I can't make you say it. And God can't make you say it. There has to be that will inside your soul that says, Lord, that's what I want. Now, I want to tell you where it begins. It begins by being honest with God and saying, Lord, I've been saved, but I haven't been baptized, and I want to be baptized. I'm scared to death of water, but I want to do it anyway because that's what God wants. Now, the moment you're willing to come to say that to the Lord, God will bless you and honor you. You see, if we take a no-risk approach to life, we're not going to accomplish anything. It risks something. Every time you go in that baptistry, you have to say, Lord, I place my life in the hand of another person. And if I die being drowned and, and, and being, being baptized, uh, I'm going to do it for your glory and I know I'll go right to heaven. Not because I'm being baptized, but because I'm trusting Jesus. So see, that puts away the fear. The day that I got saved, I went home that day. And we had a garage in the back of our house, way in the back. And my dad would uh, have me go down there and get some things out of, the, out of the garage and there were no lights in the backyard, there was no light in the garage. And I used to go fear and trembling and I'd try to whistle in the dark and I don't know if that scares the vagabonds away or what, but I want to tell you, the night after I was saved and, and then I followed Jesus in baptism, my dad asked me to go out there. He wanted to check on me to see if I knew what I was doing. He didn't think I did. And he sent his little old nine-year-old boy out to that dark, lonely garage. It was about, seemed like a football field away from our house. I don't know if it was that far or not. And you know, God gave me a new courage. And I'm going to tell you, I went out there and wasn't afraid. God took the fear away. He'll do that for you. Whatever the fear in your life, you'll take it away. He'll take the fear of men's faces away. He'll fill you with his joy and his peace and his pardon and purpose and his plan. And if there's anybody here who says, well, I've been saved, but I'm scared to get baptized. You put that scared fear over on Calvary and let Jesus take care of it. He'll help you with it. And then there are people here who are saying, well, I'm saved and I have a message to give others, but I'm scared to give it. I'm afraid they're, what? I guess that's what we're afraid of. They'll jump at us or something. Scare you? I think that's what people are afraid of. They're afraid somebody will open the door. Who are you? <laughs> so what? I think I told you about going down to some of the places I've been. There used to be a place called Lampkin Alley. I think that was the name of it. Was it Lampkin Alley down there? And I went down one night making some visits in that place. And there was a, there was a scuffling going on on a porch. The guy came out with a rifle and pointed it right at the other man. And I didn't even know them. I said, Lord, help me. And I ran up on the pulpit, on the, I had a pulpit there, the, the porch. And I ran up, on the, I got his rifle in my hand. And I said, you've got to stop this in the name of God. 
I have come, God sent me here for you to stop this because you'll forever, you'll forever regret what you're doing. He looked at me in astonishment. Now I want to tell you, God had to enable me to do that. When you're walking in the Spirit, God will give you the grace to do some things. I went down on College Street to make a visit one night. And I knocked on the door, and some voice came from the other side of the room, way over there. The door was closed. He said, blankety, blank, blank, you get out of here, or I'm going to shoot your brains out. I said, you're too much of a sissy to do that. You come to the door and tell me that. tonight. You know what that guy did? He put his rifle down. He came out on the porch and before that evening was over we were down on the ground praying. He was crying to God. Now I'm not talking tonight about how brave I am. I'm not. I'm nothing. But I want to tell you, you don't have to be scared. God will overcome fear and will give you the strength to do what He wants you to do. When you go in the power and might of the Spirit of God. Buster Jordan and I were out making a visit one night. And we went up to a door. And Buster was standing right here. Uh, Mickey, come up here. here. Here's where he was standing. He was standing right here for me. Right here. And a man came to the door with his 38. Pointed right at him. Put it right there. And Buster stepped back. Go back there. And I stepped right there. He put his pistol right there. I said, now shoot if you want to. We've come to you to talk to you about Jesus tonight. And he took his gun down and invited us into his home. And we talked about Jesus. Thank you. I want to tell you, you don't have to be scared. God will deliver you from fear. When you go in the name of Jesus and go with the power of the Holy Spirit, God will go with you. And you can be perennially prepared, perseveringly committed to do what God wants. And I want to tell you, that's the thing that will change this church. That's the thing that will change our lives. That's the thing that will cause people to start walking down these aisles and giving their hearts to Jesus Christ. When you and I put fear over in hell where it came from, and we go out in the name of Christ, and we do what God wants us to do, God will bless and honor that. I was walking down Bourbon Street in New Orleans one day. We'd had a discussion over, we were at the convention, and some of these uh, yippies and hippies were over there, and they were saying, now you have to identify with those people down on Bourbon Street. And this one guy, was a friend of mine, took his shoes off, had his toenails painted, he took his shirt off, and he walked down there and he was talking to these people about Jesus. Looked like a Jesus freak. So I stayed back a little bit. I saw him talking to one of those guys. And after he'd gone on down the street, I came along and I, please understand, I'm not making fun. I'm just telling you church history. I came down there. I went up to that guy. I had a tie on, a coat, shoes. I talked to him about Jesus. He said, well, this is strange. That other guy down there talked to me about Jesus. And you already said, if I ever take Jesus, I won't. What you've got, not what he's got. I said, how come? Well, he said, the Jesus he got didn't change him. He's just like I am. The Jesus you got changed you. You're not like I am. I'm just talking to you out of my heart tonight. We sang out of our hearts. I'm talking to you out of my heart. I plead with Glendale Baptist Church, our young people, our kids, our adults, our teens, our everybody, to put your life on the line to be a soul winner, to be used by God, and God will use that to change the future and destiny of this church. When we go out of here gossiping the gospel, telling people about Jesus, telling them how God loves them and we love them, and not be a fake at it, there has to be some sincerity about it. 
You can't go out and be flippant and be jokeful and be mirthful and all that kind of thing. We had a young man who came out of some neglectful areas of his life. He had been away from church for a while and he came in the fall of the year to Western. He came one, sun, one night, I believe it was on Wednesday or Sunday night. He came down this aisle and rededicated his life to the Lord and, and made a, moved his letter here. A couple of our guys, I'm sure they meant well, but they came through the line and said to him, it's about time you leave the old world and come back to God, isn't it? Like that. That guy left and never did come back. You can't be a soul winner like that. You gotta weep over the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save, and love them. And when they come home, praise God, ring the bells of heaven and come up and hug them and love them and let them know what a joy it is to have. And I think another thing, when you get up and walk out the door and somebody gets saved and you don't come by and speak to them and love them and line up in this line and stand here for half an hour if need be, God's going to say, okay, you may be sick. I'll pass over you. I'll go somewhere where they love to see souls saved. I'm talking to all of us. Young people. I have gone out of the church sometimes after a baptismal service on Sunday night, and we've had several people saved, and I go out in the halls, they're full of people, kids and everybody running around. And I, I, I just, it makes me sick. I want to go in my office and get on my knees and cry and say, Lord, I just miserably failed. How come our people, my people, God's people, don't care enough to come through the line and shake hands with folks? I don't understand. Do you want to be used by God? Do you really want to be used by God? Put your, put your life on the line for Him and let Him make you a soul for His glory. I've talked long enough. Let's close our eyes in prayer. I want to ask everybody here tonight who cares about souls and would like to ask God to make you a man or a woman of prayer and a person that cares about souls. And it's not just something you want to do here, but you're going to say, Lord, Give me, a, give me iron for a backbone and give me the grit and the grace to do it. I want to ask you to help me be a soul winner in December before the year's over and in 1989. I want to ask if, you, if that's really on your heart tonight to just come and kneel at this altar and ask God to do that. Will you do it now? We're going to wait a minute. Don't feel pressured or embarrassed in any way at all. If you don't feel like you ought to come, don't come. God bless you. I'm not trying to have a show. But my heart's burdened tonight. And I believe the power that can change this church in our lives is the power of a heart cry. Lord, make me a man or a woman of prayer and give me a burden for souls. Dear Lord, you see who's on our knees. I don't even, I'm not even looking, but heaven is looking. And I pray tonight that thou wilt answer our heart cry to you. God, first of all, I want to ask you to make me a man of prayer. Lord, help me to get things from you. Find out what you want. And then do it and pass that on to others. And Lord, please give me a burden for souls. And give the people that are gathered here a burden for souls. So that everybody we meet, the question will come in our heart, I wonder where they're going to spend eternity. And then Lord, give us some way of opening up a conversation and telling them about Jesus. Help us to go with Christ after the lost. We love you, Lord. We love you. That's our commitment to you. Now, will you linger just a moment and say anything personal to God you need to say? Maybe you need to confess some sin or something that stood in the way of you being what God wants. And when you finish praying, everybody here with our eyes closed, only heaven is looking on this scene tonight. Don't anybody dare look. When you finish praying, you go back to your place.
While we continue in this, I want to ask Miss Reetha to find the song, My Jesus, I Love Thee. The organ and piano start playing it and be ready to give me the number of it, please. My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, it's now. Will you just tell Jesus that? Lord, I love you. Wish I could love you more. Just want to have a little love meeting with God tonight. Just say, Jesus, I love you. Oh, I love you. piano and organ are playing that. All of us are in prayer. There may be somebody here tonight who has never been saved. You'd like to come and say, my Jesus, I love thee. I want to give my heart to Jesus. I don't want to be lost. I want to be saved. I'm going to wait right down here. Would you come? Say that tonight. I want to give my heart to Jesus. Trust him as my Savior. I'm just going to wait here a moment. Don't worry about what anybody else will think. If God has spoken to your heart, you ought to come right now. Some of you have been saved but have never been baptized. And you ought to come and say, by the grace of God, I'm going to do that just because God wants me to. I'm going to wait right here. Who'd come? Say that to the Lord tonight. Don't come because somebody else does and don't wait for somebody else. You just do what God says to your heart to do. And wait just a moment. There's somebody that ought to get up and come tonight. Maybe there's someone here that God has called to preach. Or he's called into your, His service. And you really ought to come and say, I, I need to get my life in shape so God can use me. And I want to offer my life on the altar for God. You just come. just a moment is there somebody else that ought to come tonight just do what God says to your heart to do will you do it now
somebody else that ought to come tonight and step out for God. Whatever God has said to you, do it. Wait just a moment longer. the Holy Spirit has whispered something in your heart that you ought to do, it's a good time to do it. Maybe you need to come and say, I want to be saved. Lord, I want to come and obey the Lord. I want to come and do His will. We'll wait a moment longer. Anyone? I want you to turn to 332. 332. And let's stand as we sing, My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. This is not exactly an invitation. Anybody that feels you, God has spoken to you and you need to come, you come. But I want us to sing this as a love to Jesus. You can close your eyes as you sing it if you want to, or you can keep your eyes open. Look at the book if you don't know the words. But let's direct this to the Lord. And while we're singing, if anybody here has heard God speak to you and you need to come, you come.